This is MuggleCast, episode 4, for August 28th, 2005. That's right, there are spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 4 of MuggleCast. We're joined this week by me, Andrew Sims. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Jamie Lawrence. And I'm still Eric Skull. Let's get things started by first taking a look at the past week's top stories with Micah. Thanks, Andrew. Let's begin with our top news story. Start spreading the news. Don't worry, I won't break out singing Frank Sinatra, but Warner Brothers announced Friday that the Big Apple will host the U.S. premiere of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire on November 12, 2005. The world premiere will take place a week earlier on November 6th in London. Speaking of Goblet of Fire, on Wednesday, Warner Brothers officially released the international trailer with amazing shots of the Quidditch World Cup and all three tasks in the Triwizard Tournament. Listeners can check out this new trailer by logging on to the film's official website at www.gobletoffire.com. Staying with the topic of movie premieres, Katie Lung, who portrays Cho Chang, and Robert Pattinson, who portrays Cedric Diggory, both recently attended the Dukes of Hazard premiere in Leicester Square, London. Hopefully, they weren't taking any acting lessons. Finally, wrapping up our movie news for this week, Tom Felton, who portrays Draco Malfoy, will supposedly stay on through the filming of the seventh Harry Potter movie. He spoke about it while hosting the third annual Junior Cart Tournament, saying, I'll keep doing it as long as they want me to. In other news, a Dutch Harry Potter fan named Dennis just couldn't wait for the release of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, so he made his own rendition, entitled Harry Potter and the Torch with Green Flames, which he started writing back in January of 2004. And while publishing of his creation was forbidden, it was uploaded onto the internet, in Dutch for those of you who wish to read. Moving from the Netherlands to France, the French cover of Half-Blood Prince was released on Tuesday, which is similar in style to the American Deluxe Edition. The book is due out in France on October 1st. Finally, if you didn't have a chance to participate, on Thursday, MuggleNet staffer Jamie Lawrence hosted a chat with Matthew Lewis, who portrays Neville Longbottom. You can log on to MuggleNet.com to check out the transcript. And before we leave, two birthday announcements to make. One to Rupert Grint, the actor who portrays Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter films, turned 17, and to MuggleNet senior staffer Ben Shane, who turned 16, both on Tuesday. Happy birthday to both of you, and I'd sing happy birthday, but I assume you want to keep your ratings up. <laughs> in-depth news, funny. pictures, videos, and audio clips of all the things mentioned by logging on to MuggleNet.com. That's all the news for this August 28, 2005 edition of MuggleCast. Back to you guys. All right, thanks, Micah, and also a big thanks to him for doing all of our transcripts. He's been transcribing each episode for you guys, so in case you want to go back, look over it, or just read it instead of listen. Uh, it's a big help. Thanks again, Micah. Guys, I have some excellent news. We have our first... We're, we actually have a use, and I have proof. Because Eric Nelson, a 6th grade teacher at the school that he teaches, he is going to use our show for uh, to illustrate how literature discussions should go and how they can be enjoyable. How they should go? Yeah, like, he's going to use our show to teach his class. Well, that's Isn't awesome. That cool? Awesome. Hello, class of... Wait, what's his name? Mr. Nelson. Mr. Nelson. Hello, Mr. Nelson's class. You. Yeah, you. You in the front. Keep quiet. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> that's me. All right. All right, so I think that's really cool. And I think... It, it, 
we want to know how you guys are listening to our show. Oh yes. So like, send us an email. It's it's pretty fun because like some people listen to it before school and, and on their way to school even I, on the way to school yeah on the way to school there was there was that person who commented that they do it on their on way their to school iPods, yeah. very nice yeah so it's, people take us everywhere we are honored we are honored it's cool should be should so Mogo cast everywhere like uh, every household yeah, every household in America and across the world in Great Britain. Yeah, so we're pretty much just taking over the world. So let us know how you listen to the show. Email us, MuggleCast at staff.mugglenet.com. All right, before we get to our main discussion topics and voicemails of the week, uh, we have a big, a pretty big announcement. Right, Eric? That's right, Andrew. Well, why don't you tell us what it's all about? All righty, then. Okay. Uh, those... Truly dedicated uh, slash bored fans out there uh, will remember that uh, back in episode three of MuggleCast, uh, Ben had shared a funny thought with us about how Lord Voldemort could be killed without a wand uh, once he was mortal again in book seven. Uh, he said that it would be quite funny if, if Harry had pulled on some earmuffs and pulled out a mandrake, uh, causing Voldemort to die instantly upon hearing its cry. Uh, I found this funny mostly because of its, like, it's got this high improbability, yet you know it's it's it'll definitely be effective, you know, if, if it did actually happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Ben's uh, comment was met with with many laughs, and in reply, I said that it would be funny if we had a list, um, much like our 100 ways to annoy Lord Voldemort, uh, which would state possible ways for him to be killed that were just as obscure or unlikely as a Mandrake song. And sure enough, as we should have expected, the suggestion brought about instantaneous emails flooding our inboxes with fan ideas. Instantaneous! Yes, on how to kill Voldemort that most likely wouldn't happen in the books. Um, because of this tremendous response that we had here at MuggleNet, we decided to form the first official exclusive competition. Wait, 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 what? wait! What? Drum roll, drum roll! <laughs> Boom! Muggle, <laughs> I guess I'll do it. Mugglecast's Funny Ways Voldemort Won't Die Contest. Yes, that's correct. We are welcoming fans to send in their ideas on how they'd like to see the Dark Lord taken care of that are very unlikely but just as effective as the next suggestion. Upon receiving all the entries, a list will be created that will go on MuggleNet in the near future. Not just that, but the top 20 winners as chosen by the MuggleCast staff will be posted separately for a short period of time, and MuggleNet fans will be able to vote on their favorites. Then, at a preset time, the top three choices will be listed and numbered respectively, and their entrance will be awarded a prize. So if you've already sent emails with uh, some suggestions on improbable ways to get rid of them, do not worry, Eric. Don't Your worry. email and suggestions have been saved, and we will uh, read them and take them into account for acceptance. If you have not entered, you're more than welcome to by using our contest contact us form on the MuggleCast section of the site, though we ask that you do please be sure to include your name and email address or some way to contact you if you have one. And we do ask that you send only one, your favorite entry to us. This is important because we're, we know we're going to be getting a lot of entries, and just take your time and think out one really good one. 
This is our way of keeping the numbers low, see, because, you know, we at MuggleCast have enough to do with planning and receiving all the topic suggestions and voice message questions and, and just broadcasting the show as is uh, that we can't possibly sort through dozens of entries by the same person. Uh, the only exception to that rule is what we're going to do now. A very dedicated fan named Sydney sent us a list of 101 ways to improbably kill or otherwise annoy Voldemort. Because of the nature of the contest, we only paid attention to those that improbably killed him and have these top seven choices to offer you as examples of what we are looking for. Number one, uh, example for a way that Voldemort could improbably be killed, uh, throw him to the crazed fangirls. No, number two, <laughs> uh, bewitch him to work out to buns of steel. Number three, have Dudley sit on him. Number four, make a Voldemort voodoo doll and put it through the washing machine. Number five, example number five, make him listen to Lockhart talk about himself for the rest of forever. Um, okay, and number seven, Andrew, would you like to do the honors? Example number seven for how to improbably kill Voldemort. Feed a McDonald's for a year. That's right. Doorbell. As you can see, each choice presents a sort of edge to the parameters of what we're looking for, and we'll look for the same creative edge when judging. Right, Andrew? Ah, uh, that's right, Eric. Now... If you'd like to enter the contest th through email and, and not our contact form, which I don't know why they'd want to do that, you know, at all, uh, you can send all entries uh, to Voldemort at staff.mugglenet.com. Isn't that a funny email address? I thought so, too. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's cool because, well, Voldemort works here now. So, anyway, uh, we think uh, that should be it. And uh, we will announce the end date for the competition, as well as those that made the list uh, sometime in the near future. Three. Good luck, fans! In case you guys haven't noticed, this last week we were we were on we were up at the top of iTunes, and then we sort of got knocked off completely of iTunes. And I'd like everyone just a reminder: if you want to know what happened with that, in case you haven't already listened to it, you can listen to. The special edition of MuggleCast, uh, and which Potter by the Cast. way, which which by the way was was fabulous. I, I thought it definitely had uh, a lot of direction to it, more so than the uh, the Forbidden episode, which we recorded uh, the night before. Right, that. it had. We were joined by Melissa Nelly from PotterCast, which is the Leaky Cauldrons, right? Same, similar name to podcast, and yeah, maybe sometime we'll have we'll have her we'll have her on the show sometime. But yeah, so those of you who haven't listened to it yet, go ahead and. Take a peek at it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, and while you're at it, um, subscribe to us Ten on times. iTunes. I'm kidding. Okay. Do not, no. do not <laughs> yeah. click subscribe more than once. Oh, actually, actually, it doesn't no, matter well, because we... iTunes fixed the hack yeah. in the music store. So go ahead if you if you feel yep, like clicking so. subscribe a bunch of times. Go ahead because it's not going to do anything like it used to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and for those of you. The the current Emerson status report. Emerson is in the shower right now. So if this if you, Dude, if you ben, guys watch yeah. in the shower, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm is a way message <laughs> says he's in the shower. So if you guys want to take a stop by Emerson's dorm and so that's our new feature. One of the new features here on MuggleCast. We're gonna each where week, is Emerson? Well, yeah, we're gonna let you know where Emerson is. This is you can only find this here. EmersonSparks.net. Well, they got some good info. They don't yeah. have what we have. 
Okay. We have we have insider information. Insider information. <laughs> yeah, we got the goods. So moving on to the main discussion of the week, my fellow Muggle casters, Rafe finds is he good for the role of Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Ben Shane. Um, have we even seen any pictures of him? No, we haven't. No, asked we haven't. Voldemort, no. Okay, so we haven't seen any pictures of this guy as Voldemort, so but we don't even know. Well, we've kind of seen the face he makes. We've yeah. we've seen that that face on on Regis. Yeah, but the, they're they're cool. like they're they're saving <laughs> like the Lord Voldemort pictures. Like I guess I haven't. There's I don't know if there's even going to be any before the movie's actually released. So I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. Really, that seems to be seems one to be of the, the one guy that they're keeping under wraps has been him. Obviously, they thought him good enough. You know. Uh, obviously, that's, but that's cool. I mean, well, that's cool. I mean, I, yeah, whether or not he's... I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but they've, they've messed up some characters in the past. Mark Williams, who plays Arthur Weasley in the first three movies, he was supposed to be tall and skinny and balding, and he's not exactly that. But I think he does an excellent job as, as portraying the actor. And Harry's so, supposed to have green eyes, too. So, so I think that whoever whoever ends up... Whoever WB ended up choosing for the role is still going to be very good. So I, I don't think we have anything to worry about. Jamie, do you have something to say? <laughs> Might. <laughs> Yeah, man, I do, yeah. The thing about Voldemort is uh, he's a completely different character to everyone else. Well, I mean, whereas it's still a book, the entire thing's still a book, you can picture Harry, Hermione, Ron more easily than you can picture Voldemort. And because he's the bad character, you know, it conjures up images of monsters in the dark and things like that. And it's extremely hard to picture him. So I think any... I think Warner Brothers are going to have to present him as some kind of monster-type figure, you know, the object of people's nightmares. But it is gonna be, it's going to be very interesting to see how they do him. I mean, we only got, we didn't even get a real look at him in uh, Sorcerer's Stone, because uh, I don't know who that guy was played remember. by. But, so, yeah, I think that's one of the, this is going to be one of the parts of Goblet of Fire that they're going to really try to hype up. Because he hasn't been seen in the trailers, and I doubt he will be in the uh, the full trailer. Okay, uh, well, one of, the, one of the things about the movies also is, as you were kind of getting to, is that they're, um, they're kind of... Reinventing him, um, every every single film. You know, we, we've seen uh, Christian Coulson as the young Tom Riddle, and that now we're going to see uh, you know Ray Fiennes as the uh, Voldemort in Goblet of Fire. So, um, so we're kind of seeing all different you know ages for Voldemort, and it's going to be kind of cool, especially in uh, movie six, if the, you know the whole background story of Tom Riddle, how many different uh, riddles they're going to cast, and if you know Rafe will be in this scene where he comes back to Dumbledore asking to be a teacher, and if they'll use Christian again, you know, that, that'd that be cool to see. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, that's an interesting point, because he hasn't been signed on, um, you know, they've been, especially like the internet movie database, imdb.com, they usually um, have some inside info, but Rafe hasn't been uh, announced yet. Yeah, but like, have they, have but they as they we get in the Phoenix? movie 6, do you think we might see... Christian come back and do like the Horcrux scenes going back in time, sort of like we saw in the yeah, second movie. I think that would be great. Because, That's yeah, what I was just, I mean, just to keep the consistency throughout the entire set of movies. I think it would be good if we kept the entire, um, like if we kept the entire set of actors throughout the entire series. You know, there was one exception, which is the death of Dumbledore. We've got um, Richard Harris who played Dumbledore in the first two movies, yeah. and then we had to see Michael Gambon, who also does an excellent job, take over for him. But if there's if nothing like that happens, if there's no other tragedies like that, I think it would be great if we saw the same characters hold throughout the rest of the series. 
of the movies. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm very happy that they kept you know uh, Matt Lewis and and all and you know Dean and and Seamus and all that throughout the movies. Even if they don't have you know the biggest roles, they're still there in the background, which kind of in itself keeps consistency. And I think one of the things that Alfonso did that I that I liked um, was was make uh, Hogwarts sort of a multi uh, multi-ethnic and multicultural as well more so than the uh, first two movies did and which is cool and I'm gl- I was glad that they kept uh, the the main characters you know as well through that transition so then Goblet of Fire um what we've seen from the stills is that it's still this you know the same way and it's really good Eric do you have something else to say about that <laughs> uh no I'm, I'm okay Ben <laughs> <laughs> come a, on Ben <laughs> Eric keep that Eric, in though keep that in there. I'm bad I'm Eric evil. Eric uh, Eric <laughs> stop talking now it's Eric's turn, okay? <laughs> then Eric, okay? okay. <laughs> after, after Eric, okay, okay, after well, Eric, okay. we've got Eric. All right, the story right, behind this was I, I did talk, and I did notice this, is that I talked quite a uh, little bit more than I sh- probably should have in episode three, so yeah. I apologize. To anybody who thought that I talked too much, I, I apologize. Um, <laughs> no, people like to. We love you. Eric right, next. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, 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 anyway. Um, that's another uh, discussion that, that could easily be a big topic to talk about, um, which would be... Uh, the rest of the actors are they going to stay on through movie seven? Dana Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grant. Um, Rupert signed uh, up for five. most of them. <laughs> most of them have been signed on for Order of the Phoenix by now. But um, Eric, <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> get Jamie to. I talk. thought you had something to say. <laughs> no, I have nothing to say. Ask Eric. It's Eric's turn. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm mute. I, I... Yeah, so if any of the actors are listening to this, Emma, I would just like to... Well, I'd just like to oh, clarify no, no, Ben, Ben, Ben. You, you, don't, um, you don't get to talk to Emma. Yeah, so. you, you, don't, you don't get to talk to Emma. You can't just address Emma. Eric, Eric, like Eric. Ben, ben, I believe it was ben my turn to talk. Crush. Hey, Emma. Ben has a tiny crush on Emma. Just a tiny crush. Oh, just a little. Don't you yeah. as well, Jamie. Don't you as well, Jamie. It's nothing compared to uh, other yeah. people. That's okay. Mm. Hey. Yeah, hey. I, I, we get emails from M- Emma Watson lover 01 all the time. Who's that? Who? No, I'm not talking about her. <laughs> or him. <laughs> Next okay. topic, please. I'm okay, so tell me, tell me, tell me, this is interesting. Who we won't mention. No, I can't say. I'll say okay, after okay. the show. Big part of this movie is the special effects. Now, there's been a lot of them in Prison of Azkaban and Chamber of Secret Sorcerer's Stone, but there's going to be a lot more in this movie because of the Triwizard Tournament as well as uh, everything that goes on, especially, like, Voldemort's appearance. And, um, yeah, like, you know, because Jamie brought this up to me earlier today. you have anything else to say about that, Jamie? I was going to say, this this film, you know, especially, as you said, the Triwizard Tournament, it, it it is a very special tournament. It's It's, it's a very elaborate tournament it's very and i think that it's going to only one will go down in history <laughs> only one yeah. will reach eternal glory exactly what <laughs> Thank i was going to say anyway before ben brilliantly interrupted me the fourth book especially with the triwizard tournament the entire thing needs a lot of special effects to to work out because i mean the second task half of it is going to be filmed underwater and with the uh, gillyweed or gillyweed however you pronounce it gillyweed skills Oh, I've got what I was going to say. Sorry, someone else go. You always do this. I swear. I can't. <laughs> I lose. It's not, it's not only me. <laughs> Eric, didn't you have something to say? 
We're bad. <laughs> we're um, terrible. Yes, we're I've got something to say. No, I, 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 I can talk. I can say go. something. Uh, um, okay, Char there you no, go. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory um, was uh, obviously just came out, you know, very recently, and it does have a lot of special effects in it, also, and maybe not as much as Goblet of Fire, but I, you know, I thought that was a movie where they where they had quite a lot of special effects, and uh, they blended them nicely with with real life. Yeah, that's that's a good point. They, almost that whole movie was special effects, yeah, really. Yeah, and it can I be... mean, including those Oompa Loompas, they, they didn't have 2,000 of them in one room. They right. There was just, one. It was one guy. It was, you know, uh, Deep Roy. So I, I so thought really, that was, that was at, quite well done. Yeah, and it really didn't look like one... Um, it didn't look fake at all. Tim Burton, who directed that film, did an excellent job. Now, now back to Harry Potter. Um, about, about Goblet of Fire, I, I think that... Um, Personally, I feel that I trust WB and that they people. Some people were scared, like Christopher Columbus said in his interview on the Chamber of Secrets DVD, that he was worried. No, Steve Close, excuse me, said that he was worried about um, about the giant spider scene and how how fake and how humorous that was going to look when it was when it was supposed to be scary. But in the end, it turned out to actually look pretty cool. It actually was kind of frightening for. The, for the smaller children and things and and kids of the younger ages, so I feel I have my faith in WB. I think that they're going to turn out another excellent movie based on what we've seen, the special effects and things that we've seen in uh, in the trailer so far. I don't think there will really be a problem like with it, and that it's not going to take away from the movie at all. Yeah, and we we're forgetting that everybody, you know, everybody's gotten better at acting. All the all the the trio and everybody, you know, they they've yeah. just gotten better. Jamie. Do you think Lawrence, do you, do you have oh, something to say? Thanks, man. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you think it's a case oh, of all God. films in the 21st century using more special effects just because you know it's uh, computers catching up with, with the film world, or do you think it's just it's, it's just the Harry Potter series that needs that sort it's of injection of of uh, uh, special no, effects to make it more brilliant fantasy? Brilliant idea. Brilliant idea, Jamie. No, yeah, I th I think it's it's all movies. Um, maybe more, more, some more so than than others. Um, the only point I was bringing up with uh, Charlie and Chuck Factory is that we've seen it can be done. You know, a blend can be made. And yeah, I have faith in WB also. I, I think it'll be fine. Okay, we've sort of lost our host. Hold on. <laughs> and, Andrew fell out. Andrew fell yeah, out. Okay. okay, let's go. Okay, well, on, we just go. finished. Let's we just finished the special effects topic. On August 23rd, we saw the the second book released in the Inheritance trilogy, Eldest, which is the successor to Aragon. And earlier this week, we sat down with Andrew. Actually, sat down with um, Eldest webmaster, sub dude <laughs> Mike from Shirtugal.com, where we interviewed him about the book, and we saw what his thoughts are about another book, another fantasy book that many of you might enjoy. All right, so we're joined by Mike McCauley of Shirtugal.com. Shirtugal.com is a website based on the Inheritance Trilogy. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. You? I'm doing good, thanks. So we brought you on here today because we need to break some news to all these Harry Potter fans. Harry Potter is not the only good fantasy series out there, right? Right. All right. Okay. So we brought you on to ask you a couple questions because you are, your site is basically the MuggleNet of the Inheritance trilogy. You could say that. Yeah, you could. <laughs> you've been. You went to the premiere of the new book. You've you've gotten pre-release copies. Random House loves you. It's just like, you're you're in a good uh you're in a good place right now. So give our listeners a general overview of the Inheritance trilogy. 
Well, um, Aragon tells the tale of a poor farm boy who's ironically named Aragon, and uh, he finds a blue stone when he's hunting in the nearby mountains, and the stone ends up hatching, and it ends up being a dragon's egg, and Aragon bonds with his dragon, who he names Saphira, and when his uncle Garo is killed by um, agents of the Empire, he sets out on this adventure to avenge his uncle's death, and realizes that he has to take sides with either the Empire or the Varden, which is the rebel group trying to overthrow the Empire. And um, the book pretty much tells the tale of Aragorn's struggles, and um, he's plagued by many deaths and, you know, things that just obstacles that get in his way. And it's a good book, so if you want to know more, I'd suggest reading it. We're checking out your site. So this this is definitely a series that would appeal to a Harry Potter fan. Yeah, I'd say that. So tell us a story about the author, uh, Christopher. He's, he wrote the first book when he was just 15. Yeah, uh, Christopher Paolini is... Uh, well, as you said, he wrote the story when he was 15 years old. He It actually took him two years because uh, he, when he wrote it the first time, after his family went through and edited it, he took a look at it and pretty much realized that it needed to be rewritten. So he spent another year rewriting it. And um, his family, who published uh, books before, mainly educational books, decided that they were going to give up everything they were doing. And they realized the book had potential, so they self-published. And for a few years, they, you know, they toured the U.S. trying to promote the book and sell the book wherever they could. And Christopher is going to hate me for saying this, but he used to tour in uh, this red swordsman shirt and these black, as he calls them, pantaloons and pretty funny outfit trying to promote his book. And when they were on tour, they got a call from Random House, who offered them a book deal. And that was a pretty big break, considering all the work they had been doing just to get the book out there. Right. And, um, yeah. So, ha so how did Random House pick up this series? Well, um, Carl Hyacin, who's a popular author, he wrote the book um, Hoot, among many others, and his, him and his stepson, Ryan Hyacin, were out, they were fly fishing in Montana, and um, Ryan picked up a copy, one of the self-published copies of Aragon, at one of the local bookstores and read it and loved it, and he told his father about it, and his father told Random House, and Random House realized the book had potential, and it all went from there. Wow. That's unbelievable. So when, I'm not sure if you know this, so when Chris got this news in his family, how did they react? Well, I mean, um, I'd imagine that they were overwhelmed with surprise because, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a huge break. And, um, of course, they um, had to find an agent, and they worked out all the, the details, and pretty soon Aragon was published by Random House. So tell us about the Eldest premiere. The book just came out a few days ago. Yep, that released on uh, Tuesday, August 23rd. I went into New York City for the book release where Christopher was kicking off his book tour at Barnes & Noble in Union Square. And um, I was there on the 22nd, too. I went to, we did lunch, dinner. I went to Random House. It's really an amazing place. And then the um, the next day, I actually I got a chance to intern at Random House. I helped distribute promotional items for his book tour. Wow! And um, when we we headed down to Union Square, and none of us knew what to expect because it's a city, and 
not the easiest place to get to, but there was well over 900 fans, or no, I'd say around seven to 900 fans. Um, Christopher made a presentation, and Gerard Doyle, the narrator for the audiobook, did a reading. And then Christopher signed 700 or more copies of his book, which must have been amazing. 700? Well, yeah, 700. Wow. Oh, it was it, it was basically a big book signing? Or? Uh, I'd say so. It, at Towards the end of the book signing, actually, when everyone was finished, I went up to get my copies signed. And uh, I looked down at his hand, which was one side was purple, it looked bruised, oh, and the other God. side was bright red. Wow. <laughs> and when I ever walked up to him with around 35 copies of the book to be signed, the glare was enough to, if, if <laughs> looks could kill. <laughs> If looks could kill, you would certainly be dead. Yes. So, and then, uh, so the the book was released on the 23rd, and then, wouldn't you know it, Eldest actually beat Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince on Amazon's top list of top-selling books. It sure did. And it's worth noting that Harry Potter is actually pushed down to number three. Eldest is at number one. And then a book titled Why Do Men Have <laughs> Nipples <laughs> is at number two. And I guess Oprah promoted it or something. or I don't know what happened. but So t- we'll see what happens with that. But tell us about, tell us about uh, the website, SureTugal.com. Well, I started the site back in December 2003, about two months after the book was released. And back then I was getting about 25 visitors a day. And I had I knew no one from the Palini family. I knew no one from Random House, and uh, I've been hard at work for the past a year, well, a year and a half, to, or close to two years now. And I've built connections, and I talk with the Palini family, who are a huge help for my website. Without them, I don't think the site would be anywhere. And Random House, who obviously just invited me into the city for the book release, so it's been amazing. All right, so that's about it, um, Mike. Thanks for joining us, and we hope people will check out the book. And once again, guys, you know, there's definitely some other books, uh, good books besides Harry Potter. Uh, the Inheritance Trilogy is definitely one of them. Thanks, Mike. Yep, no problems. Thanks for having me. All right, so that was my interview with Mike McCauley. Uh, once again, that's SureTugal.com, S-H-U-R-T-U-G-A-L.com. All right, now let's move on to our favorite part of the show, the voicemails. Woo! I love these because you guys keep sending in so many, and half of, uh, most of them are good. Okay, I want to start off the sh- uh, our, this part of the show with a nice voicemail we got from this one kid. You guys definitely have to take a listen to this. This is, this is a classic. Hello, this is Yoda from the MuggleNet chat room. And I have a very, 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 very basic question. Who do you think is R.A.B.? in the sixth book. And thank you and may the force be with you. I'm, I'm so alone. This sucks. <laughs> well, what do you, what do you <laughs> say there at the end? <laughs> he said, I'm so alone. This sucks. <laughs> Yoda, I thank you for your question. It was probably one of the best ones we received. Just for the originality. Uh, we've already answered this question before. Who is R.A.B.? Um, but do you guys want to talk no, about no, it? I don't more? think it's necessary. We've pretty much came to the consensus that it's Regulus Black, and we have about 55,000 trillion billion other voicemails to get to. Here's so. something. Here's something. Okay, wait a second. Here's something I found out interesting, though. I was reading Mongonet's world-famous editorials, and I came across one that points out, okay, R-A-B, if you shift each letter forward, S-B-C, 
Sirius Black's cousin. Wow. What do you think of that? Uh, okay, and and uh, and Drupal's best blowing gum is Gold Under St. Mungo's and about a thousand other acronyms. Uh, no, but isn't that that's cool? not even well, an acronym, but today. yeah. Free. It's interesting, but it's, it is probably just coincidence, though. This one theory pointed out that it was one of serious, serious black. You guys are so not HP um, sleuths. I swear, you guys need to read Galadriel Waters books. And there's no such okay, thing now listen, as a coincidence. Wait a second. You don't have what, to what, read what, Galadriel second, Waters ben. books just to nail your HP no. stuff. No, I'm, stuff. I'm just saying that okay, I'm just ben? saying that there's no such thing as a coincidence. It's one of the five rules of being an HP no, sleuth, right, Eric? That isn't true, though. That's no, not no, true. No, of course no. there are. There are such things as coincidences. No, there's a difference. There's a difference between there's yeah there's a difference between being a coincidence <laughs> and going way too far and you know that's just the only 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 time only time the first book's called I don't know I just think okay. that's kind of interesting. The first book's called it Harry Potter and so is the fifth book that is coincidence. It is, no, it is. It's it's what? Huh? <laughs> what did you say? I said the first book's called Harry Potter and the fifth book's called Harry Potter. Now that is a coincidence, you know. I th I think they could. <laughs> I think they could be part Jamie. of the same series, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they could be. Jamie. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Jamie's British joke <laughs> of the day. Thank you very okay, much. Now let's move on <laughs> to more voicemails. <laughs> Alright, now this next one comes from Elon. Hey, MuggleCast. First of all, I want to tell you that I really like your show. Now here's my question. When Snape performs the Avada Kedavra curse on Dumbledore at the end of Book 6... Why does he fly into the air when we see in book four regarding Frank Bryce and Cedric Diggory that they just crumple to the floor? Um, does this mean that Snape actually did not perform an authentic killing curse? Book six, Snape conjures a killing curse, but he f Dumbledore flies up into the air um, it, compared to book four when Cedric Diggory just collapses to the ground. What is going on, Eric? Well, um, I I think this is <laughs> I think um, yeah no it's definitely uh, a lot of questions about Dumbledore's death you know he he flew you know when well Dumbledore himself says there's no um, mark the death curse leaves no mark um, we've seen it before at the very beginning of Goblet of Fire uh, with the Riddle's death you know there was nothing wrong with them except that they were dead and it's the same thing throughout the books so yes Dumbledore's flying into the air and over the balcony is quite suspicious and you know we can treat it as such um, I don't know what it means really I as we said I think Dumbledore is dead um, but that's a good question it's it's one it's a re it's to speculate really I think Dumbledore is dead um, but I don't know why he flew out the thing I'd say it's either just for show you know because he was such an important character and Joe really had to uh, you know make it clear that he was dead or because he's so powerful because Cedric, you know, he was still at school and he didn't have the uh, power that Dumbledore had. So after Snape killed Dumbledore, you know, he, he had so much magical power filled within him that he it, it was all, you know, just expulsed. All of his power was just released from him and he flew backwards over the battlements. What I think the reason that Dumbledore flew up in the air is because I'm one of those people that thinks that Snape did it, killed Dumbledore on Dumbledore's orders. And I think that the real reason that that Dumbledore flew up into the air is because Snape was felt so guilty about it and he had all this hatred built up against Dumbledore for Dumbledore making him do this that when he performed the curse that it sent him sailing up into the air that it was all this emotion that was built up and just you know it all flew into Dumbledore and then that's why Dumbledore flew up into the air I think that makes the most sense that it was just emotion and everything built up that led to him 
skyrocketing. Yeah, I agree with Ben because, you know, there's, once again, everyone, a lot of people think, oh, Dumbledore didn't die, this is just one of the reasons why, but really, it, it could have just been the way that Snape conjured it. Um, Jamie. The second part of that voicemail asked whether um, Snape performed an authentic killing curse, uh, and I think we should talk about that, because that's quite an interesting point. But, I mean, throughout the books, you know, a great deal of emphasis has been laid on the fact that the unforgivable curses really are powerful, and it takes a great wizard to conjure them. And I don't really think it's feasible that you could, you know, perform the uh, Avada Kedavra curse. You know, the green light comes out of your wand and somebody dies, but... It's, it's 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 only like a half wanted curse. I, th I think your entire heart has to be in it, be in it, whether you want it because you do actually want the person dead and you've been ordered to, or, or because the person who is who's going to die ordered you to do it. Yeah. So so it's possible he still did mean it, even yeah. if yeah. he was a good no, that's guy. That's what we're saying. All right. This next one is from Stasia. Hi guys. This is Stasia. I listen to MuggleCast from Wisconsin, and I'm 39. My question for you is, why did Harry leave his invisibility cloak on top of the tower after Dumbledore was murdered? Wouldn't it have made more sense for him to be invisible while chasing Snape and Draco? Thanks, and keep up the great work. Well, personally, what I think the problem is, <coughs> like the reason that Harry left it at the top of the tower, is because that when, he's, when he was so built up with emotion, he just saw Dumbledore be murdered, that it really wasn't an issue. He wasn't thinking like his wits were not about him. He just thought, "Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm going to chase right after him." You know, because he didn't think, "Oh, I rather, I should be invisible than chase after him." He just thought, "I'm running." You know, these these ugh, these people just killed the headmaster of Hogwarts, the head of the Order of the Phoenix. This is the only choice I have. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. And as Ben said, no, I think that's definitely the uh, the main reason uh, that he did that. You know, he was he could just finally. Um, he could finally move his limbs and, and, you know, chase after Snape, and I think he was just worried about that. Um, there's, there's two other things, though. One of them is, um, it probably wouldn't have been, uh, that smart if, if Harry had actually put on his, his invisibility cloak, because, you know, I would relate it to driving, actually driving a car, because it's not good to be invisible if you're driving a car, because all the other cars, the way they move is, it's judging on if they can see you and, and how fast. Basically, if Harry had his invisibility cloak on and he was running through, you know, the whole battle scene and everybody was, was looking for a place to run to dodge an attack, they could have landed, they could have, you know, jumped right into him and not seen him. You know, it just wouldn't have been a good idea if he had his invisibility cloak on. In the middle of that, you know, a curse could have hit him easily. And, you know, I think it's... Basically, it wouldn't have been a good idea if if he had it on. The only time he'd be able to use it would be after he's chasing after Snape all the way out in the grounds. Um, yeah, I didn't think about that. Maybe accidentally getting hit, but I just thought maybe um, he did it because he didn't want to hide and sort of be. He didn't want to cower. He just wanted to run yeah. after them. Well, like Harry Potter. Right, and we've would. seen Harry. Yeah, we, we've seen Harry disregard stealth before, or not not fully appreciate you know its its ability. Like um. I, even though he does use the invisibility cloak often, um, in book three in Prisoner of Azkaban, when they're in the Time Turner, he's so concerned with uh, just finding his dad that he doesn't care if he's seen or anything. He's bent on seeing prongs. And also, one really cool thing. Um, I'm sorry, I don't want to, you know, talk too uh, too long. But um, in book one, I was just rereading, and in book one, there's a brilliant parallel, which I think uh, Jamie would be proud of, uh, but book one, uh, Harry leaves his invisibility cloak on top of the tower um, after they return Norbert to Charlie, and 
it's really interesting because it's the North Tower, and he left his invisibility cloak off there, and who returns it to him but Dumbledore? And just hours before, uh, Draco was up on the North Tower. So it's really this scene where, where Draco was there and Harry was there and he left his invisibility cloak and Dumbledore, you know, was connected. It's just a really cool parallel, I thought. That's good. I, I, I like that. But um, I was going to say about book six when he does that, I, I, I agree with, uh, I think it was Andrew, that it's just a case that he was so angry at Dumbledore being dead that he just completely forgot it. But also, uh, he, had, he had to run to catch up with Snape because they had a head start on him. And if you if you're running flat out, the 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 invisibility cloak, you know, is going to flap up, and, and it isn't going to isn't going to cover your feet. So it would have really been pointless anyway. Yeah. So basically, what we're trying to say is that it just wouldn't work. Okay. This next one is from Michelle. Hi, MuggleCast guys. I'd like to propose the idea that the item of Godric Gryffindor's that Voldemort used as one of his Horcruxes was, as Dumbledore said, not the sword of Gryffindor, but instead the Sorting Hat. I think this makes sense, as the Sorting Hat is an item of great magical power and prestige, both qualities Voldemort was looking for in potential Horcruxes, as well as the Hat having such a powerful influence at Hogwarts. Given that the Sorting Hat almost has a mind of its own, it could also prove very difficult to destroy. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I, I just had an idea that Slytherin, the house, is like, you know, you could class them as dark wizard followers because Hagrid said that you know there wasn't a wizard in Slytherin who hadn't gone bad so I was going to say that that perhaps he had sort of used the used the sorting hat for one reason to like hand pick the people who he, he could pick for to, to follow him as his death eaters but then the sorting hat was there a long while before Voldemort so I don't think he could do that but I think it would really attract him because you know it's right under Dumbledore's nose it's at the center of Hogwarts it is a thing of massive magical power and I think he'd be really pleased to have that as a Horcrux. But then the problem still remains of how does he actually get, get into Hogwarts, get into Dumbledore's office, get the Hawk, uh, I mean, get the sorting hat and kill somebody just to turn it into a Horcrux all in a day's work. Uh, and also, also, why couldn't he just like bewitch the, the sorting hat so that when Harry Potter sits down that it gobbles It kills him, him or something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, no, I think it... This well, you guys have made it like range into this this wide variety of things. It's it brings into question how to make a Horcrux if you have to kill somebody and make it right there. Yeah. Or if you you know I've seen it speculated that when he that when Voldemort twitches his wand in Dumbledore's office or whatever, I've seen it like speculated that that's when he makes a Sorting Hat or whatever a Horcrux. But really, I I think that was just because just going to show that yeah. he's you know tensing up and about to uh, attack Dumbledore. So I I think that's that. But um no, it's it's another another question is like. Would Dumbledore could that honestly have gone unnoticed? And you know, could the Sorting Hat hide that? And I think, as Jamie said, it's a, it's a it's an element of mass and magical power. So he'd obviously want that as a Horcrux, and I think that's a cool idea. Andrew, okay. I have nothing. Andrew, else what do you think? I have nothing else to say to that because I think you guys covered it. Oh. Okay. This next one is from Tom. Hi guys, I'm a huge fan of the show. My name is Tom from Indiana. Um, I was just wondering, because you guys haven't said on the show before, I've read the first book 50 times and all the other books, excluding the fifth one, 20 plus times, and I was just wondering, how many times have you guys read the books? Hold it, mole. He's read Whoa. book one 50 times. 50 times? Yeah, and then the rest of... I wonder if he's talking about Half-Blood Prince, too, because he's just said excluding Order of the Phoenix. He's only had a month to read them, though. Fit the sixth one. He, he may well, spend every okay, week yeah, reading the book, you know. Yeah, Twenty now. times in a month. It, it's possible. All right, so let's go around the round table here. Uh, All right, Ben, Ben, okay. Ben, Ben. Um, 
No, no let's let's yeah, go alphabetical. Or Andrew, Andrew used to be last. Okay. 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 Well, I've read the books around ten times each. And when I first started reading the books back in eighth grade, which had been two th like early 2003 or so, when I first started reading them, I like read them all in order. I was really very strict about it. I had to have to go Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, then Goblet of Fire, and then Order of the Phoenix came out six months after I started reading the series. And I've that book I've only read like four or five times because, I don't know, it's a monster and... It's just hard to find time to read when we all have pretty busy schedules and school and things like that. And Half-Blood Prince, I'm going to confess that I'm a bad boy and I've only read it once. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So go ahead and send your go ahead and send your hate mail already. But I think I'm a very I like comprehend a lot when I read. In case you haven't noticed. Well, it all started for me when I was six, and. <laughs> you had a great birthday cake, right? I was bullied at school. Okay. I had a really, I had a really tough time at school. You know, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> there was a really tough time at school, and Harry Potter Harry took me away from that, so I've read it fifty times. Before Order of the Phoenix came out, I, w I was reading each one, then the next one, then the third one, then the fourth one, and I suppose I don't know, probably five to ten times each for those. Then, and after the fifth one came out, I was just reading that one. And then after the sixth one, I was just reading the sixth one and the fifth one. So, I mean, I, I haven't really gone back to the first four for a while now. For the for the last two, I've probably read them a few times each, three to five, something like that. But I, I am I'm planning to go back and read them all in a row soon. Okay, I I came into Harry Potter through the first movie, um, so I started reading the uh, second book, and I went from the second to the third, then the fourth. And at that time, that was the day that uh, Goblet of Fire came out on paperback, which was really cool. Um, but then I did them in order, and I think I've read uh, probably the first four books about uh, three to seven times, something like that. I think Prisoner of Azkaban I've probably read the most, and um, Order of the Phoenix and HBP I've read uh, twice each, um, which is actually kind of bad for book five, but as Ben said, it was a monster. Okay, and I read each one three times each, excluding uh, Half-Blood Prince, which I've only read once. All right, now let's take one more voice. You're a bad boy like me, Andrew. You jerk. What? You're a... You're a <laughs> what? Sorry excuse for a Harry Potter oh, fan. Oh, yeah, well, you know. Only reading Half-Blood Prince once. Once I read the books once, I mean, I know what goes on. That's I'm no excuse. Yeah, yeah, okay, anyway. Um, yeah, do the, do the, do the last, last voicemail here. <laughs> okay. Roll so take. here's our... Featured voicemail of the week. This one comes from Matt. Could this be Matt from Veritaserum? Why do you say that? Who cares? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Matt from Veritaserum. All right, let's listen. Hi, MuggleCast guys. Is that Matt from Veritaserum? <laughs> I don't know. Is that Matt? What the heck? That was the number of these wrong. <laughs> I, I met him, I met him, and I'm, I'm <laughs> squashing all the rumors that it's not Matt for Veritas Oh my god. Hello, MogCast. I think your show is great. If Voldemort was immortal from the Horcruxes, why was he drinking unicorn blood and looking for the Philosopher's Stone in book one? Thanks. This is a good good question. Um, Well, I, I think it's about... it's It's got to do with the, the quality of life. Um, Definitely. Uh, if you look... In Greek mythology, um, there's a lot of characters that become immortal 
but they have really bad lives. Like there was this one. I, I I'm sorry, and I, and all English scholars and all Greek scholars, please forgive me. I don't know the names to these guys. But there was a story of a mortal who went to the gods and asked to be immortal, and he they made him immortal, but he kept aging. And so even though he you know he never died, he aged and and withered away into the like nothingness. And then you know the, and then there's other classic stories of immortality where you know it's just basically immortality is used to torture people. So really, I think it's got to do with the the quality of life, um, and that's why Voldemort was drinking the unicorn blood, and that's also why he needed feeding uh, from Nagini or Nagina uh, in Book Four. Um, I think it's it's all to do with how strong he is, because um, even though he's immortal, uh, he didn't he he only has one one of the Horcruxes. He's he's only in possession of the one that occupies his body, and he does, you know. Good, good, good. Yeah. Very good okay. point. Thank you. Very good point. Okay. <laughs> what I think is sort of extending on what Eric said is that Voldemort, he didn't want the one Horcrux he had that, 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 that he was inhabiting right then, that, 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 that piece of his soul, he didn't want it to die. So he was having Quirrell drink the unicorn blood just to sustain him long enough to try to keep him alive before that Horcrux dies. That, that, was, the main, that was the main issue for him drinking the unicorn blood is because he needed to stay alive long enough to get the elixir of life, which failed. So that Horcrux, I guess, I guess it did stay alive. But once again, he was at he was almost dead, you know. And like like what um like what Haggard said is that it can save someone even when they're when even when they're an inch from death, but they're going to lead a lead a cursed life. Like like friends said. That it can save you from from death, even if you're an, even if you're an inch away, you know. So, what happened is he drank the blood just to keep him from dying, and that um, he didn't really care if he ended up le leading a cursed life because he's doomed anyway. So, that that's that's just my thought, my take on it. Um, couldn't it be that he, he wasn't actually an inch from death, but he was just hanging on to to existing as something worthwhile because immortality doesn't doesn't mean that, that you have to go on existing forever as a human you could just have a tiny bit in you that's still existing so he he was sort of past death but he couldn't die so, so, so it's a kind of catch-22 situation so the elixir was just there to strengthen him to a form where he'd still be alive just as he would be if he hadn't drank drank the elixir but he'd have more sort of will and energy so he could so he could start creating all these potions and stuff that, that, that would finally, you know, come the fourth book, turn him back into a, well, I, I say human, but he's not really a human, but into that type of form. Okay, so I think that wraps up MuggleCast Episode 4. Once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Jamie Lawrence. And still talking, I'm Eric Skull. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might as well give into it, really. <laughs> give into the criticism and, and stuff. It's, yeah. it's great. So that's all for this week's edition of MuggleCast. Once again, I'm Andrew Sims, and if you'd like to send us a voicemail, please email voice at staff.mugglenet.com. Also, don't forget, our competition runs through Episode 6, so if you'd like to enter, please send in your one entry to Voldemort at staff.mugglenet.com. Also, don't forget, comment suggestions, or we'd also like to know how you listen to our show. Send those in to MuggleCast at staff.mugglenet.com. We'll see you next week. Six. Okay. Six. I want to. <laughs> That's it, Eric. Don't say it. Just type it. Eric's after uh, Eric. Okay. Don't.
do not let Eric go before <laughs> Eric, okay? That wouldn't be fair. That would not be fair. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait, okay. wait. I think Come Eric on. wants to say something. Come on, guys.